once again and welcome to episode 61 of Bee Boomer Unleashed Life After High School Part 8. Today's podcast involves careers with a calling, careers with a calling. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and all the episodes of Bee Boomer Unleashed. Before we get into today's episode, let me remind you, as always, where you can find our podcast. You can find us on beeboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play at Bee Boomer Unleashed, on iHeartRadio at Unleashed. On Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram, you can find our link at Bee Boomer Unleashed and on Twitter at Bee Boomer Unleashed 1. And as always, we encourage you to drop us an email at BeeBoomerUnleashed at gmail.com. That's BeeBoomerUnleashed at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of the show. Make suggestions, your criticism, comments. Always welcome. Well, today's episode, Life After High School Part 8, Careers with a Calling, We're going to talk about those careers that are really just a little different than maybe an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor or a school teacher. These are occupations or vocations, if you will, with a calling. And you say, what do you mean calling? Somebody going to pick up the phone and call me? No, these are uh, occupations that really, I feel, require a calling from God. And they say, well, you know, a calling from God, how can that be? Well, we'll talk a little bit about that, and maybe you'll uh, understand what we're talking about. As you know, we've been talking about life after high school. In our first episode, uh, we talked with uh, former student Josh Bloss and how he chose a path other than a four-year degree. We then spoke with Frank Barnett, vocational director for Cabell County Schools, about opportunities available at career technical centers. We talked to Tracy McClanahan, who teaches career literacy at Barbersville Middle School, and how they were trying to prepare middle schoolers to choose a good career path. We talked with Tony Stroud, an attorney with Encova Insurance, about careers in law. Then we uh, talked about what experts are calling the 30 hottest college degrees to obtain in 2020. And last week, we talked about some good careers that don't necessarily require a college degree. And this week, we're going to talk about careers with a calling. You know, uh, you'd be probably be surprised to know that there's a tremendous shortage of people involved in Christian ministry today. There's a lot of churches that don't have pastors. They don't have uh, Uh, someone to fill that pulpit on a regular basis or pastor a church. Now, pastoring, pastoring a church is a whole lot more than just preaching. You know, there are a lot of preachers out there, those who can put together a good message and preach that message. And primarily, we call those folks evangelists. And I think there's a calling for a person to be an evangelist, too, a definite calling of God. Uh, God puts his stamp of approval on that individual and draws them to that vocation, if you will. And uh, they go from church to church to doing what we call evangelistic work. Uh, In the old days, we called them revival meetings. Uh, Back in boomer days, there was always some revival meeting going on somewhere. I remember when we went to Cyrus Creek Baptist Church back when I was just a young uh, teenager, a young uh, uh, man, preteen and teenager there at Cyrus Creek, we had something called the Cyrus Creek Baptist Church Youth Choir. And we went to a lot of revival meetings. 
and uh, sang in 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 preparation for that service. And it seemed like you always had some kind of revival meeting going on somewhere. Well, those times have changed just a little bit. God hasn't changed, but you just don't hear of too many revival meetings anymore. A lot of times you had revival meetings that went on a week. Sometimes they were scheduled for two weeks, and sometimes they just went on and on and on until God closed the revival down, and he said, well, that's that's enough. We're revived. But now you're lucky to get people to sit still for a three-day series, a three-day revival, if you will. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are having like a just a Thursday and Friday revival or a Monday-Tuesday revival or a Thursday-Friday-Saturday revival. But everybody's too busy for God today, it seems like. And so you don't have the number of evangelists doing that kind of evangelistic work here in the United States of America that we had back in baby boomer days. Then there's something other than an evangelist called a pastor, and there's a difference in a pastor and an evangelist. And the pastor is the one who leads a local congregation or assembly, if you will, of believers, and uh, he is the one who uh, takes on the leadership role to uh, determine uh, uh, which direction that church will go. And there's lots of different doctrines, and we're not going to get into doctrines today. You know, we have folks that uh, that vary on certain doctrines in the Bible, and I think that there are those that you can draw a line on and those that, you know, are kind of up for debate. But there are a lot of different doctrines. That's why we have Baptist, Methodist, uh, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian. You have all these different denominations of churches, and uh, they vary a bit in their uh, style of worship or maybe the version of the Bible that they use or whatever that might be. But in any case... These folks are the ones who lead those particular congregations, and some churches are big enough to have an assistant pastor or a youth pastor or a pastor of visitation or a minister of music or whatever it might be. There might be several people on the pastoral staff. And there's a lot of churches today, though. I know in just in our community here, there's dozens of churches that have no pastor at all. And you say, well, why is that? Why, why don't we have uh, pastors for these churches? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And one is, you know, it's a God-called ministry. It's a God-called occupation or vocation, if you will. If you want to call it that, you can, and we won't fall out over that. But it's a, it's a lifelong decision that's made with God's guidance that I'm going to be the pastor of that church. Now, there are some pastors who are full-time pastors, meaning meaning that that's all they do for a living. The church pays their salary, and they're full-time pastors of that church. Now, other pastors, I don't want to diminish them. They are full-time in the ministry too, but they work another job. They might be pastoring a church who cannot afford to pay a pastor a full-time salary, and we call these pastors bivocational. They might work a job. They might be 
an insurance salesman. They might be a school bus driver. They might be uh, a retail clerk. They might uh, have their own business somewhere. They might be a contractor, a builder or something like that, or a plumber. And then they also pastor a church. They also pastor a church. And they're, like I say, bivocational pastors, and they are what we call full-time pastors. That's their full-time occupation or their vocation, if you will. Now, most people don't say that. You know, you ask most kids uh, when they're growing up, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, early on, it's a cowboy. You know, I want to be a cowboy. Then maybe it's a fireman or a policeman. And as they get older, maybe a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist They have all of these uh, visions of grandeur on all these different careers and different occupations, and you don't hear too many kids, too many children say, well, I want to be a pastor, or I want to be an evangelist, or I want to be a missionary. Now, there are children who grow up in that environment, and that seems like a logical thing for them to do, but regardless, that's something God has to call you. You say, what do you mean this calling of God? Well, let's look at just a few what I call reluctant preachers or reluctant missionaries in God's Word. And we're going to go to just a few passages of Scripture here today. Not everyone uh, signs up and says, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to be a preacher. I want to be a pastor. I want to be an evangelist. I want to be a missionary. I want to take the God's Word to the four corners of the earth. I want to go into the deep jungles in the Amazon rainforest or whatever. I want to be that person who brings the gospel to those people. Why? Is that not the case? Well, it's not really very glamorous, is it? And, you know, you're in the Amazon rainforest somewhere preaching to the indigenous people there, and you could get your head lopped off. You know, I mean, that's dangerous out there on the mission field, and a lot of folks, you know, that's just not something they desire to do. So that's why God has to call you to do that. And you say, what do you mean a calling? What do you mean called to do that? It doesn't mean that God is going to make you do that. He is going to call you and encourage you and lead you to go into that kind of ministry. It's not that he's going to mandate that. It's just like salvation. Salvation can't be mandated. God wouldn't make us serve him. What kind of God would that be? What kind of God would that be that would require us to follow him and only him. Man, only him. Man is a, a free will, free spirit, if you will. But you know, it's not God's will, he tells us in his word, that any should perish, but that all, A-double-L, should come to repentance. So he wants all of us to follow him, but he's not going to make us do that. It's just like if, uh, if I had a, my little granddaughter, Abigail, the youngest, And if she's sitting in the floor and I say, uh, Abby, come up here and give me a hug. And she says, no, I'm not going to do that. And I said, Abby, get up here and give me a hug. I'm telling you, I mean, come up here right now. And she reluctantly crawls up on my lap and hugs my neck or whatever. What kind of glory would that be for Grandpa? None. I'm not going to make her do that. And anybody in their right mind wouldn't make a child do that. But if she's sitting there and I'm sitting there reading a book or whatever and she's in the floor and all at once she leaves the Legos or whatever she's playing with and she hops up on my lap and throws her arms around my neck and says, I love you, Pops. 
Well, that brings glory to the Father or the Grandfather. And that's what loving God and following Him is all about. God is going to challenge us and encourage us and give us certain skills that we might do the work that He has called us to do. Now let's look in Exodus chapter 4, and these scripture verses I'm going to read are from the King James Version. As I've told you, if you read from another version, that's your business. We're not going to fall out over that. But the King James Version just happens to be my favorite. I think that God has preserved his word through the King James Version over the years, and I just like it. And in Exodus chapter 4, we're going to talk about a reluctant leader or a reluctant preacher, if you want to call him that. And in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, And Moses answered and said, Moses, you guys remember Moses, Charlton Heston, right? No. Charlton Heston has uh, played Moses in the movie called The Ten Commandments. And this is the character that we're talking about. Well, but Moses really wasn't a Charlton Heston type. Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me. God is speaking to Moses, saying, I want you to lead my people. I want you to lead my people. And, and Moses said, You know, they won't believe me, nor hearken to my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. You know, what authority do you have? In verse 2, And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? He said, It's a rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. The Lord says, Moses, put forth thine hand. Take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it. And it became a rod again. So God was dealing in Moses' life in a very visible way. Now, will he do that? To, he could do that today if he wanted to. If he was calling somebody to the ministry and he wanted to do that, he certainly could, but typically that's not the way it happens. But Moses was still reluctant. He didn't want to do that. Uh, we go down to verse 8, and he says, If they will not, uh, God says, They will not believe thee, neither hearken to thy voice of the first sign. They will believe the voice of the latter sign, and it shall come to pass that they will not believe after these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice. Thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. The water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. So he's telling Moses that he's preparing him to lead his people out of bondage. But Moses is still not convinced. And in verse 10, he says unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Moses had a speech defect, folks. Moses was either a severe stutterer, he uh, uh, talked with a lisp, he couldn't talk plain, he had not a voice that we would want to listen to. He was the person who had the kind of voice that if you have that voice in school to, in school today, kids would often make fun of you. And Moses is pleading his case. He says, I'm not an eloquent, eloquent. I'm slow of speech. And the Lord said unto him, every excuse that Moses came up with, well, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind, have I not done that? And he's talking to God here about that. 
Now, therefore, go, and I will be thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So Moses, this great leader who led the children out of uh, bondage to the Egyptians in the great exodus who crossed the Red Sea with them, this is the guy that we're talking about here who is having a fuss, having a little debate with God and says, you know, I really, you know, that you don't really mean me, Lord. So Moses didn't just step forward and raise his hand and say, let me do it, let me do it, God, let me do this. I want to lead the people. You know, I want to go up against Pharaoh and I want to do this. No, no, no. Moses was reluctant. And a lot of times, pastors and missionaries and evangelists have that same experience when dealing with that today. And so Moses became this great leader, but at first it was not so. Well, let's look at another reluctant prophet, another reluctant preacher, if you will. Let's look at Jonah. And if we look at Jonah, chapter 1 in the King James Version, we're going to just share a couple of verses here with you. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of of the Lord. Now, if you look at a map, Tarshish was the total opposite direction of Nineveh. You weren't even going to come close to Nineveh. So God called Jonah, told him to go preach to these people. It was a wicked people. It was a wicked people. And Moses really wasn't inter- I mean Jonah wasn't really interested in going down and preaching to that wicked bunch of people. He was kind of afraid of them, I think. He didn't want to do that. So he goes to the total opposite end of the world, or at least he tries to, and you know the story. And it's not just a story. It's a historical account, how the storm came up and they threw Moses over, or threw Jonah overboard. And, uh, you know, the big fish swallowed him up, and he was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights, and then... And then what happened? The whale vomited Jonah up on dry land, and God called him again. And he says, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. This time, Jonah listened. He didn't particularly care for being in that whale's belly. So this disobedient, reluctant prophet, if you will, ended up going and probably was involved in the greatest revival, the greatest repentance of mankind in human history. And so, you know, God, you know, sometimes we're not always willing to do what God wants us to do, and he has to deal with us in that special way, that special calling. Another guy we're going to talk about for just a second is Gideon. And Gideon, uh, you know, the, the children of Israel were in bondage to the Midianites, and, you know, the things were going bad And uh, so God was calling Gideon to lead his people. And you know the story of Gideon, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. But we're not going to get into that whole story. But let's let's take a quick look at Gideon's calling. In Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, Gideon said unto him, talking to God, he says, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? You know, if you're really with us, God... Why has all this stuff befallen us? 
And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this night, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And Gideon said unto him, O oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? You know, behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. An excuse, an excuse. And people make excuses, all kinds of excuses today, why they choose not to follow God. Why they choose not to follow God. And that's just what they are. Excuses. They're not really valid reasons because if God lays his hand upon an individual to be an evangelist or a pastor or a missionary or whatever that calling might be upon your life, you know, we many times as humans have excuses why we shouldn't do that. You say, well, most people don't set out to follow a career in ministry. Like I said at the very beginning, you know, most of us wanted to be cowboys or uh, we wanted to be firemen or, or we wanted to be policemen or whatever it might be. Most people didn't set out to be a pastor, a missionary, or an evangelist. So why don't we do that? God calls men and women into his service. God calls preachers evangelists, pastors, missionaries. He calls those folks. And why don't many people answer? Well, the answer to that is pretty simple. It's not an easy life. It's a rewarding, it's a fulfilling life. Any life in God's service, whatever that might be, if God calls you, you know, if, if you know, not everybody is called to full-time Christian service. Some people are called to bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. Some people are called to support missionary outreaches across the world. They have different jobs, and they make lots of money, and they can support missionaries. They can support their local church. They can do that. But there are a few folks who are called out to do these special ministries, either pastor or evangelist or missionary, whatever that might be. And why don't people do it? Well, let me share with you a few verses here from 1 Timothy, beginning in chapter 3. And I think we'll understand why some people choose not to listen to what God is speaking to their hearts, and they choose not to follow the path of Christian ministry. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So, And this bishop is the leader of the church. And we'll use this bishop to represent pastor, evangelist, missionary, that church leader who is going to spread God's word wherever that might be, whether it be as an evangelist, whether it be as a missionary on foreign soil, whether it be as a pastor in a local church. He said, that's a good thing to do. But there's something that comes with that. There are certain qualifications that come with that. So if you want to be one of these spiritual leaders, pastor, evangelist, missionary, whatever it might be, if you desire this, then 
verse 2 picks up some of the things that kind of scare people off. It says, a bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife. Vigilant. Sober. Of good behavior. Given to hospitality. Apt to teach. So they got to be blameless. You can't have any skeletons in your closet to people say, well, look at him. You know, he thinks he's so high and mighty. And look at him. Look at, you know, you got to be blameless. You got to have a good reputation, so to speak. Got to be the husband of one wife. You know, you can't have three or four wives around. You got to be the husband of one wife. You've got to be a faithful one woman for a lifetime man. You got to be vigilant. You can't just be lackadaisical. You got to be watching what's going on. You got to be watching your steps and ordering those steps. You got to be sober. It doesn't mean you can't laugh. It doesn't mean you can't uh, have fun. That's not what that means. But you got to be serious about God's work of good behavior, given to hospitality. You're a hospitable person. You want to encourage people to come and join in and apt to teach. You've got to be a good teacher. Not given to wine. That means pastors, missionaries, evangelists don't drink. You don't drink alcoholic beverages. No striker, or we could call that a brawler, somebody that wants to get in fights, somebody that wants to fuss and argue all the time or even get in physical fights, not greedy of filthy lucre. Now, if, you, if you're greedy of filthy lucre, probably full-time ministry is not your thing. People, well, they look at people like Joel Osteen and all these guys that's got millions and millions of dollars in their own airplanes and stuff. Well, you know, I, don't, I think that's just somebody that took uh, business to the extreme. I don't think God calls us to do things like that, but that's a discussion for another day. But not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, someone who has patience, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. you got to have your kids on board, too. You can't have a bunch of wild kids out here running around if you're really going to lead God's people. For if a man not know, know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. In other words, not some just brand new guy out of the box. Not a novice. Why not? Because it goes on to say, lest being filled up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And I've seen a lot of young preachers fall into that. Oh, look at me. I'm so pretty. I can sing so well. You know, I can do this. I can do that. And the next thing you know, they've run off with the... Uh, uh, the piano player or whatever, and it's just all downhill from there, and it gives the whole ministry a bad name. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So he's got to have a good reputation. People have got to speak well of him, well of him. So why does God call people into his ministry. And as we go here, we finish up this discussion for today. In Ephesians 4, and it talks about vocations that we might have, but we get down to verse 11, and it says, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why did he do that? For the perfecting of the saints, not making them perfect, if you will, 
but for helping them become mature believers, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man or a mature man, if you will, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the body, the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love." So that's why people are called into the ministry. And that's exactly why some people don't want to follow that calling. Folks, we're in dire straits today when it comes to leadership in local churches. You know, if you've got a grandson, if you've got a granddaughter who might be, you know, uh, out there that they have a tender heart, they have a tender heart, develop that, help them develop that, take them to church Don't send them to church. Take them to church. Let them sit under a good gospel ministry. Who knows? That granddaughter might be called to be a missionary. She might teach in a Christian school. She might devote herself to full-time ministry. She might marry a pastor. There's a lot of things. If you've got a a son or a grandson who is uh, into spiritual, they're sensitive to spiritual things, nurture that. And reward that and encourage them. We need full-time ministers of the gospel. The church is in dire straits when it comes to leadership. Now, God's in control. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. God is in control. But we need people, men and women, who are willing to accept that calling when God calls them into ministry. Let's forget about the Little League and the football and all that stuff. Those things are fun. Sure, they're fun. How many of your kids are going to play professional sports? Not very many. So instead of nurturing that football and basketball and all of these youth sports and all the crazy things they can do, why don't you nurture the gospel? Why don't you take them to church? Why don't you encourage them to become involved in God's service? Like I say, nothing wrong with playing ball. You know, I played ball when I was a kid, but you can't have that to be your God. You've got to have that as something that you do on the side, as something a little bit fun. But why don't you encourage your kids to follow God? And whether they do that in full-time Christian service or just as a good, faithful church member somewhere along the way, your time will be well spent nurturing that relationship that they have with God. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next week, we'll talk about apprenticeship uh, and the military, and we'll conclude this series with a discussion about the cost of education, and then we're going to move on and talk about music through the decades. Got a couple of guests lined up for that that I think are going to be real entertaining for you. So, uh, wow, it's been great being with you. We appreciate you coming on board. Uh, Wouldn't be much fun without you. So have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye.